Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. the people he carried up this mountain. Some days he could swear he felt them piled on his back, weighing him down like the packs the porters carried. Karen Outen, Dixon Descending. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today I'm joined by Bookshelf Operations Manager Olivia and Online Sales Manager Aaron to give you a rundown of our favorite new books releasing in February. If you're a new or newish listener, you might not realize that From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, a small, independently owned bookstore in rural South Georgia. By listening to our show and recommending it to friends, you are helping to keep our indie bookstore in business. And if you like what you hear, one way you can financially support us is through Patreon. In 2024, we are conquering the classic American novel Lonesome Dove together with monthly recap episodes. For $5 a month, you can access our conversations as well as our porch visits. Those are our monthly live Q&As where we talk about everything from pop culture to nail polish to what books you should take on your next vacation. To learn more about our Patreon tiers and benefits, just visit patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We'd love for you to join us there. Now back to the show. As we go through our February new releases, keep in mind that Aaron has made browsing our podcast book selection so easy. You can go to bookshelfthomasville.com and type episode 462 into the search bar where you'll see all of today's books listed ready for you to pre-order or purchase. You can use the code NEWRELEASEPLEASE at checkout for 10% off your order of today's titles. Hi, guys. Hey. Brr. (laughs) (laughs) My intro. I know we're trying hard not to go on tangents at 24, 24, but I just have to say somebody posted a millennial like TikTok meme thing that was like, brr, it's cold in here. And then the mom was like, and then she broke into the Toros in the atmosphere from Bring It On. And I was like, oh, I feel seen. (laughs) (laughs) That is what I think anytime it's cold. Because that is what ran through all of our heads. Yes. It was very funny. Yeah, it's really genuinely cold here. I wish it would snow, but it's not going to. It's beautiful and sunny. I know. This is our first new release episode to record in the new year, but it's a little too late, according to Larry David, to say Happy New Year. So just this is us talking about February books. I'm excited, actually. I don't know. I think I like winter reading. Yes. I don't know. I have found more. I have more time just in the time that we had a break from the store and just before school started back and all the activities started back, I just found that I had a lot of great books to read and I had time to read them, which was a real pleasure. I love winter in general. And I do find a lot of great mysteries are set in the winter time. And so now I actually mm-hmm. get to read in the in the temperature of the book that I <laughs> That's always nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do prefer that. Yeah, I like winter too. I wonder, I've always liked it because my birthday falls in the winter, but I do wonder if bookshelf rhythms have also just adjusted my favorite seasons. Like I used to love the fall and I still love fall, but it is chaotic at the store. And winter, despite maybe some some things like weather and sickness that have impacted the bookshelf in January, I do feel like generally speaking, January is a quieter month at the bookshelf. There is inventory. Olivia's had to do so many graphs. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so and so she may not feel that way. But she loves it. She loves it. <laughs> I do. I do. But yeah, I just feel like it, it's a good time of year for me as a reader personally. Um, and it was easy to come up with my, this is not always the case. It was easy for me to come up with my mm-hmm. books I wanted to talk about today. So if you're new to these episodes, basically we are previewing some books we are interested in releasing this month. So today we're talking about February new releases. We're going to do this round robin style. I will kick us off and we're each talking about three books today. My first book is called Dixon Descending. It releases next week on February 6th. Um, This is almost, it was almost a book that I thought Olivia might like this. And I still think you might. But then I know Aaron read it. And because it is an adventure story in that it is an Everest story about the climbing of Mount Everest to black men attempting to summit Mount Everest. But it is also extremely, in my opinion, quiet and character driven. It is an adventure story. You definitely feel some tension as these two men attempt to summit the mountain, but it is also very much about Dixon and Nate. They are two brothers who've been constantly kind of in competition with one another. Nate is the older brother. Dixon is the younger brother. Dixon was headed to the Olympics and missed out at the Olympic trials by like two-tenths of a second, which I had no idea... Of course, it sounds like that would be devastating, but reading about it really was devastating, like how much a person's life can change in two-tenths of a second. That he went from being the star athlete with hopes of the Olympics to he wound up studying psychology and becoming a school psychologist. So the book takes place um, pre-Everest Summit and post-Everest Summit. And then we do get some scenes actually on the mountain. Um, But it's very much about Dixon and how his brother kind of convinced him to take on this challenge of climbing Mount Everest. And then what happened after Dixon descended the mountain and the impact of what happened happened on the mountain and how it affected his life post-summit. So I thought all of this was super interesting. It immediately made me, I I think I put out a plea on my Annie's five-star reads, like, tell me all of your Everest documentaries. I want (laughs) to watch them all. I think that's what I'm going to do. We need a deep dive. I think that's why Olivia would love it because then she would go on a deep dive of Mount Everest. Oh, I already have. You'd listen to all the podcast episodes. (laughs) Of course. Oh, done. Check. Because I I don't know, I just, I found those aspects of it especially really interesting. I think this is probably partly for fans of like Peter Heller. It's a very um, natural element story. It's about the mountain. It's about what happens on the mountain. But it's also, as I said earlier, extremely character driven. And even though it sounds like exciting and, and almost thriller-esque, I can't stress to folks enough, and I and I love this. I'd like to be clear. I love this, but it's extremely quiet. Erin, you read it. Did you listen to it or read it? I actually read it. Okay. Yeah. And did you find it to be quiet as well? I don't know. I, I really loved it, but I just thought it was a, it wasn't like the propulsive, like intense book, I thought. Yes. I do think um, she could have gone further. Like, I think I, that's why I wouldn't mm-hmm. call it a thriller because I do think the scenes on the mountain, she could have made it much more like cinematic and stuff, but it wasn't. It was like, you just got the information you needed. You just got their thoughts and their their feelings as they're going up the mountain and not so much about the actions of going up the mountain. But I was, I mean, when I was reading about them on the mountain, I was holding my breath. Like it was just, it did feel very... You just felt like you were right there with them and you felt the danger and the tension, but then 
you'll go back to scenes where they're at home and they're, you know, planning to go or they've come back from it. So it was it was a great mix. It was really original to me. I, like I said, Peter Heller is maybe the natural comp in my head, but also I really couldn't think of anything else I'd read like this because Karen Outen also really addresses the fact that these are two black men and how unusual that is, um, how they are treated in their training and on the mountain itself, what they are treated like. And so I thought that aspect was really interesting. And then what Dixon um, brings home with him and the, and the things that he kind of witnesses and experiences on the mountain. I love this book. Um, It releases on February 6th. It is called Dixon Descending by Karen Outen. I'm just going to verbally submit my documentary that you should watch, but it's called 14 Peaks. And it's incredible. It's about this guy who he climbed um, all 14 great peaks in the world. And he did it in like in sections of like these three are clumped together. These are clumped together. But you get him going up every single one of them. I'm going to read that. And it was really well done because he also gave like a huge shout out and credit to like the Sherpas that help you get up there because they're a huge part of it. But they're so unspoken when you hear people talk about reaching the peak. It's all because of these Sherpas that go with you. And I've done this for years. I like the Sherpas in Dixon Descending were characters. I mean, they were a part of the story and their story was intermingled because they're, they're also two brothers. They brother Sherpas taking two brothers up the mountain. So it was just, uh, it was really cool. Yeah, I love that aspect. Well, just to keep hitting all the Venn diagrams, my first book is Night Watching, a book that Annie and I both read. Annie suggested that I read this. And then I read it and I was just like, I don't think Annie has any concept <laughs> of where I live. Except, except I did. Except I do. But I love being scared. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Listen, I'm not saying I didn't like it. I'm just saying, as a thriller reader, this left me the most unsettled I have ever been. (laughs) And I do think that's saying something. I almost feel like I've accomplished something. (laughs) You did. did. Congratulations. You you broke Olivia. You You did it. You freaked me out. (laughs) Night Watching by Tracy Sierra is about this woman. She lives in a little house, like an old house. I pictured like a very Pennsylvania-esque house where you have like multiple sets of staircases, everything creaks. It's all filled with wood. It was like pre-Depression era (laughs) built. Snow everywhere, woods everywhere. Luckily, this woman, instead of my woods being everywhere leading to nothing, has like a route to like a community behind her. But she's lived in this house with um, her husband and her two children. And... She wakes up one night. Her husband is no longer a part of the picture. That's explained later uh, because one of her kids woke up in the middle of the night and she was putting him back to bed. And as she turns around to go back to her bed, she sees a man in the hallway and it's dark enough. And like the shadows are playing in her favor that he cannot see her. And so she just freezes and watches this huge man with a weapon start searching her bedroom. And so she grabs her two children, runs down one of the two staircases, like the back staircase that they have. And she hides them in this little like hideaway, like cubby sort of situation. And that's where they just like stay throughout the night while this man is like in their house and they're listening to his like creaky steps go up and down. He's like calling out to them. At one point, he takes the husband's guitar and starts singing. Like this man is is wild. (laughs) Unhinged. 
I don't think I can say too much more than that just because I don't want to spoil what happens, but it is like the shortest chapters I've ever read. I read this in one sitting. Walt was very (laughs) impressed with me, but also maybe a little annoyed. (laughs) Um, And then I had my dog sleep in bed with me because I was so freaked out. (laughs) It is deeply unsettling. I I mean, you're right. It's super short chapters. I think that's part of the reason I read it in two settings because I I read it. uh, My my parents also live kind of out in the woods and that's where I read it. And so I loved it. I mean, I loved it. I thought it was really smart, um, but I wanted to finish. Like I wanted to know what happened to her because I was like, I've got to move on (laughs) with my life and I need to make sure. It felt like the the pacing of like a TJ Newman with like a falling or a drowning situation. You're not in a plane, you're in a little cabin, but it also is like a woman who is like telling the truth to the cops and they're just not believing her and she's stuck in this situation. Um, all of it was just a, <laughs> maybe a bit hyper-realistic, <laughs> um, but I think that's what made the book so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were flashbacks to like previous times. I didn't feel like they took you out of the moment. I think actually you needed them because you're just, you're getting anxiety from sitting in this little room with her two children. Yeah. I think she did that so perfectly to kind of like give you give you a minute to catch your breath. I was going to ask you as you were describing it and I was reminiscing about it. I really did love that book. Uh, but it reminds me of, do you remember in like Forever Young Adult Book Club or whatever we called that book club years ago, um, we read a book called, I think we read Babysitting is a Dangerous Job. <laughs> yes, I do remember that book. Where she hides the kids, she and the kids hide in an attic. And that book stayed with me as a kid. Like, I loved that book as a, like a, I don't know, middle schooler, high schooler. And so this book felt like the adult version of that to me. When we read that, I was just like, this is a lot more thrillery than I expect a children's book to be. (laughs) Yes. There was a bee situation happening too at one point. Like they were straight up kidnapped. (laughs) Yes. Like you kept thinking, I think as a modern reader, you kept thinking, oh, this is going to be like a joke or a twist. No, no. It was like a straight like kidnap. They're stuck in the attic with their babysitter thriller. It really is. And I, man, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Scary dogs were involved. Yeah. yeah. And then in this one, you just get this like unhinged man. Like, Aaron, you got to read it. And I was like, you're describing my nightmares. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say tremendous uh, child abduction trigger yeah. warnings in this book. I don't, think, I don't think I'll be reading it, but I'm so glad that you loved it. <laughs> it was, if you want to like sit and have a good thrill, I think it's going to be great during the Halloween period when a lot of people read like this. But if you like a T.J. Newman-paced book or even like a Riley Sager, I think his are a little bit slower than what happened in this book. Mm -hmm. But they still unsettle you in the same way. Yeah. It was really great. Agreed. It was terrible. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Aaron, Aaron, what's next for you? (laughs) I don't know. What a a segue. (laughs) Oh, my first book. I don't think... I feel like I'm at one of those uh, award shows and I'm like, your next book needs no introduction, <laughs> but it is, um, it's The Women by Kristen Hanna. It's coming out next week on February the 6th. I saw this arc at the bookshelf and I was like, you know, it's not usually at my alley. I don't read a ton of historical fiction, but I'm so glad I picked this up because it is, um, it's not like other Kristen Hanna's I've read before, which I've read The Nightingale and I did read The Four Winds. 
But this one has felt a little grittier, a little deeper than her other ones. Um, it follows Frankie McGrath. She is a socialite whose brother leaves to go fight in the Vietnam War. And um, due to some circumstances, she feels like it's her duty to go and um, enlist as a nurse in the Vietnam War. And so because they're, the need is so great, she's basically shipped out like immediately with very little experience um, as a nurse, even in the United States. Um, as you can imagine, she gets there and it's sort of like... <laughs> It's like a wake-up call for this California girl. There's a lot of very graphic, uh, intense scenes of working in a army hospital, as you can imagine. There's fighting, there's bombing, there's body parts <laughs> everywhere. So if gore is not your thing, you know, maybe you can kind of skim through those. But it all goes to show um, just how like how she's thrust into this, this experience and she's just got to go. Like there's no, you can't just be like, well, I don't know how to do this. You just got to do surgery on someone like right away. <laughs> and so you, you see her uh, very quickly become this tough, very experienced, uh, no nonsense nurse. And she's surrounded by other no nonsense army nurses and, and surgeons and doctors. And of course, uh, because it is a war, she experiences losses, whether somebody died or uh, people are, their time is up and it's time for them to go back to the United States. And so she spends a lot of time there. And when it's her time to come home, she just kind of imagines that it's going to go differently. And when she gets home, she experiences a lot of, um, her parents are ashamed of her because, um, you know, the Vietnam War at that point, which is it's actually really I wanted to go on like a deep dive about the Vietnam War after this, but apparently when a lot of the soldiers returned because the Vietnam War was so unpopular at that point, the soldiers who were fighting in it um, were despised. They were called killers and it wasn't their fault. They were just doing what they were told to do by the army, but they had been a part of things that were not so great over there. So she comes back and she can't find help anywhere. She has PTSD and it almost feels like because um, she didn't fight in the war, she's not even recognized as a veteran, even though she saw so much of what a veteran would see. So she struggles to get help. Her life spirals quite a bit. And, you know, it does have a good redemptive ending. In fact, I put in here, I even cried at the end um, because of the author's note and some things that are at the end of the book. It just made me tear up. But, um, you know, it's it's your typical historical fiction, right? There's a little bit of romance here. There's love, there's loss. Um, but this one felt a little more real than your typical historical fiction. So I would just say if you're a fan of Kristen Hanna, even if, it, even if you're not, this is a great one. If you're just interested in history, or the role of women in the war and women making their way when they weren't really given a chance to, um, this is a great one to pick up. So it's Kristen Hanna's The Women comes out next um, next Tuesday. I am intrigued by that. And I've not, uh, this is a bookseller confession. I've never read any Kristen Hanna, which I think I probably should have at least read The Nightingale or whatever. And I just never did. Mm -hmm. I am curious about this one because many of my uncles fought in the Vietnam War and they came back um, and I think didn't even know they had PTSD. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't even think then PTSD was a thing that people knew about. No. And it's certainly not something we talked about or um, addressed. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the way those veterans were treated. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I have a lot. I'd like to read a little bit more. And like you kind of deep dive the Vietnam War. And I like to typically start with a work of fiction. So I don't know. Maybe I'll try that one. This is great. Nancy and I were both reading it. And like every time we'd see each other, we'd be like, oh, 
are you got are you to that part yet? <laughs> we oh, text each funny. other. <laughs> that was fun to watch happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next book is in my mind, I've not read The Women, but it is equally kind of gut-wrenching and and heartbreaking. It is called Leaving. This book releases on February 13th. I adored this book. It is frequently, whether through the podcast or in the store, I feel like I get asked for recommendations featuring older protagonists. And so immediately, one of the things I liked about this book was it features around two retirees, Sarah and Warren. Um, They are kind of in their, you know, their twilight years. I think they're in their 60s, 70s. And they run across each other. They come across each other while attending the opera in New York. And turns out Sarah and Warren um, were really seriously dating in their, I think, collegiate years. Um, But they broke up and now they have just come across each other in their 60s and 70s. And I do need to say that some of my friends don't like reading books about infidelity, whatever. I just, I hesitate. There are so many triggers and content warnings about this book. (laughs) But one of them that doesn't give anything away, I don't think, is that there is infidelity. Um, Sarah is a widow, but uh, Warren is still married. And so the connection that they feel um, brings up all these questions of, well, did I marry the right person? Should Sarah and Warren have stuck it out and, and stayed together in and after college? And then to me, what the story and what the book really shows is that there are consequences to the decisions that we make, um, good and bad. There are really beautiful uh, consequences to our decisions. And then there are also some really just heart-wrenching ones. And my publisher rep, Abby, shout out to Abby at Norton. She recommended this book to me. I mean, I absolutely adored it. It is reminiscent to me of the book Fire Sermon by Jamie Quattro. Um, It's dealing with some of those same themes. It's a really quick read. Like I read it maybe in one or two settings. Um, so I think it's really propulsive. It is it is character-driven, but actually a lot, quite a bit happens. And again, I just need to say there are so many content and trigger warnings for this book. Um, I'm not a particularly sensitive reader, um, but a lot happens where I was like, hmm, that would, <laughs> that would be bothersome. But any trigger or content warning I give you, I think would spoil it. Um, so what I will say is that I found the story really compelling and beautiful. I am not a super sensitive reader, so I was not bothered by any of the content though all of it really made for a gut punch of a story. Like I I never do this, but once I finished, I immediately emailed Abby because I had to talk to somebody who had read it. And Abby graciously <laughs> wrote me back and, and we talked a little bit about the book. But um, I loved this. I think I will be thinking about Sarah and Warren for a really long time. This is called Leaving. It releases on February 13th. And it's got a beautiful, beautiful cover um, if you care about that sort of thing. Okay, my next book is The Book of Doors by Gareth Brown. It's out February 13th. I couldn't remember what Tuesday was. (laughs) February 13th. (laughs) First off, I'm pretty sure this book was like written specifically for me, and I'm so flattered, Gareth. (laughs) Um, Secondly, I think it also might be in my top 10 of the year, and I know that's a risky thing to say in February, but this book was so good. Um. It was about this girl who lives in New York. She works in a bookstore on the Upper East Side, like a small independent bookstore. 
Um, so you already got me right there. <laughs> right <off the> bat. <laughs> I never worked in a bookstore in New York. They didn't hire me. That's fine. That's on them. <laughs> that is on they're them. Lost. They missed yeah, out. Lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, she has befriended this older gentleman who comes into the bookstore. He frequently sits there and he'll read and they'll have conversations about what they're reading. And it's just like this delightful friendship that they have. And one day he's sitting there reading Count of Monte Cristo. She goes to the back to put away some books or or do some bookstore activity. And when she comes back, she finds that he's passed away, like sitting there reading. And so she calls the cops. She like removes his book and she finds that there's a second book there. It's called The Book of Doors and he's inscribed it to her. So he had meant to give it to her, but he had passed away before he had the chance. So she looks at this book of doors and she takes it home with her roommate and they're like fooling around with it because there's nothing in it. There's just like a couple pictures of different doorways, but there's not a whole ton of words happening. And finally, she accidentally she's holding it and she's about to open her hallway door. And she has this like memory of when she was in Italy at this little cafe. And when she opens the door on the other side is Italy, the exact place that she was thinking of. And so she realizes that this door can take her anywhere as long as she thinks of the door that where she wants to go to. So her and her roommate have a really great night traveling all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> and they like end up at like a rooftop bar in New York. And this guy, his name's um, Drummond. <laughs> He's from Scotland. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> um, he like watches them and he realizes that like they have the book of doors. And so he tracks them down and he explains to them that like this is a part of this series of magical books that people are like collecting. Like it is like an underground network of these collectors and a lot of people want them for bad reasons. He has a couple of them. He has like the Book of Luck. He has a couple others, but I can't remember what they are. But the Book of Luck is what led him to them. And he tries to explain to them like it's really dangerous and we need to destroy this particular book when some guy comes in and attacks them. And so they use the Book of Doors to get away. Now they believe Drummond and then they're in this race. But what he explains to them is that the Book of Doors doesn't only take you to different places, but it takes you to different times. And so the story that was already about a girl who works in New York City at a little bookstore with a magical book now also has time travel in it. And I'm sold. Done. Check. Check. I will say like the time travel aspect of this was super well done. It is it's not used super frequently. So you don't get confused about where she is or or what time she's in. Um, it's very succinct in what they're doing. But it is. Excellent. Like at one point she is trapped in New York like 20 years before she was there the first time and she's lost the book of doors. And you're just like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just so good. I will be hand selling it left and right. And I'm very excited about it. Mm-hmm. And that does sound like a really good premise. It was great. Really unique. It was excellent. Never let me down at all. Um, it was so well done. Oh, good. I love that there are other books like in the story, you know, that there's yes. – that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm like, what What are the other books? Now I want to know. There's a, a evil woman called The Woman, and she's like <laughs> trying to collect them all. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my next book is called My Side of the River by Elizabeth Camarillo. Camarillo, sorry. Gutierrez. Um, it – 
comes out February the 13th. I, I listened to this one and it was actually read by Elizabeth, read by the author. Um, it's a story of how she was raised by Mexican immigrant parents in sort of a lower class home. Of course, she's encouraged to be good at school, to be good at everything she does. And so she grows up with that mantra and she does she does well at things. She does well at school. She's doing really great. But there comes a point when her parents um, are, they're there in the United States. They're here on a like some sort of tourist visa. And so they are required to go back to Mexico and leave her by herself as a teenager in the U.S. So she moves in with like a teacher at her school. And that's not a good situation. She's not treated well. And so she sort of like starts to not do as well at school. Um, but overall, like she triumphs. She it's just follows her trying to get into different Ivy League schools. Um, and she finally goes to, um, I think, University of Pennsylvania. And she when she graduates, she's she gets a job at like Goldman Sachs or some some sort of like really, I can't remember which one of those like finance companies she gets a job at, but she ends up not being treated well there either. Um, so that, that really is it. Um, it really just kind of follows her through her life. And the whole time you're, you're you're giving, she's giving you a lot of observations about um, the American immigration system, about um, the um, the racial, um, <clears throat> I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, she was just um, prejudiced. She experienced a lot of prejudice, not only in her school, but also in these circles that she tried to move in. You know, when she got into Ivy Lake school, when she got into finance, she was, uh, there was a lot of prejudice, like almost like go get my coffee, you know, girl, as when she had a degree, just like the rest of them. And so I, it was really the whole time I was reading, I kept thinking like, her story was so moving. I mean, I kept listening to it because I was like, I want to find out what happens. She, it seems like she is, um, she comes across angry and kind of bitter at some points. And it put me off at first. And then last night as I was making my notes and I was thinking about it and I was reading some other things about it, Basically, I mean, not that every, not that you have a right, but she has a right to be angry and she has a right to be bitter. She has experienced um, tons of um, trying to jump through hoops and being just put down again and again and again. I was I was hoping because she gave a TED talk, which is how she became sort of famous and how I think she got a, also got a book deal. Um, and so I just. Uh, I kept thinking like, oh, it's going to have that story arc where now she's like, and now I'm like giving back to, or I'm, I'm like making things better. It didn't really come across that way, but it, for her, I, and I wrote this down, like it really is the tension between anger at the system, but also pride at triumphing within the system that she's so mad at. So she holds that tension well, and it's a well-paced story, and it's a well-written story. Um, but it, it will break your heart because she experiences a different America than I have experienced. And so I just found it really interesting. She was a great writer, but it is hard to listen to because she has a lot of feelings about what she's experienced. And so it can be all putting, which I think won't come across if you read the print, um, the print copy, but it was good. I mean, it's, it's a very eye-opening account of someone who's been through and has lived through the American immigration system. So it's coming out uh, my side of the river. It's coming out February 13th. How old is she? Do you know? 
Like, is she middle-aged? She's probably in her mid-20s now. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's because that's the other thing. Sometimes I'm about to talk about a memoir as well. But like sometimes with these memoirs, I feel like we're getting people in their middle. Like, whereas I think we maybe used to get memoirs at people's end. Um, but we're getting people in their beginning. And, you know, she's in her mid-20s. This is her beginning. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't had a lot of time to reflect yeah. back on these. She's still sort of in the middle of these circumstances, you know, living this. She's living it. Yeah. Okay. My next book is a memoir as well. It is called Grief is for People. This releases at the end of the month on February 27th. This is by Sloane Crosley, who I love. I think maybe I've read almost everything she's written. I read I Was Told There'd Be Cake. Her titles have always been so good to me. I Was Told There'd Be Cake, Look Alive Out There. Those are her two essay collections. Then she had a novel called Cult Classic, which I also really enjoyed. And I feel like there was another novel she wrote about a necklace being stolen. And the reason, maybe it's called The Clasp. I think it was. The reason I mentioned that is because in the book, Grief is for People, uh, Sloane Crosley is taking two really disparate events. Uh, the first is that her New York City apartment is broken into and burglarized while she's not there. And all of her jewelry is stolen or a lot of her jewelry is stolen. So a lot of her, it's not necessarily that it's even super, um, some of it is nice, uh, expensive jewelry, but a lot of it is just meaningful um, and sentimental to her. And then one month after her, one month after her jewelry is stolen, her best friend, Russell, uh, takes his own life by suicide. And so these are two events that clearly are really different and not the same in terms of heft and weight. But she winds up kind of writing this really compelling look at that month and what happened in those months and how it affected the rest of her life, um, particularly the loss of her best friend. Her best friend was a publicist. I was like, he's not an editor. He was a publicist. And that is where they first met. He was her boss. Um, and then they just became really dear friends. It is a really, she's certainly adding something to the conversation in terms of grief memoirs. She references Joan Didion's Year of Magical Thinking quite a bit, which is one of my favorite books. This one is heartbreaking to read at times because it's about the loss of a friend and the unexpected loss of a friend uh, to suicide. And um, so obviously there are triggers and content warnings around suicide, suicidal ideation, um, depression. But it's also about like what we do when we lose a friend and we really don't get closure. We really don't get to say goodbye. And then even she writes in such loving ways about Russell, but also Russell was complicated. And so I, I really appreciated, you know, um, when you have a, a friend die, they also, they were complicated. Uh, people are people. And so they have really good, wonderful parts about them and then harder parts about them. And I thought she really handled that remarkably well. It's a deeply personal memoir. It wouldn't be Sloane Crosley if you didn't also laugh out loud. Like I laughed in parts. Um, I think she's incredibly witty and funny. It is also very much a New York story. Uh, if you like books set in or around New York, I feel like it is distinctly New York. Um, she talks a lot about her apartment. She talks a lot about pu the publishing world, which she worked in even before she began writing. And so I found all of it. It was just very much all the things that I, I hesitate to say I enjoy reading about, um, but I really do I really do appreciate so much books about grief and loss because we're all going to experience that those things. Um, if we haven't yet, we will. And so I really appreciate writers who bear that weight for us and who um, kind of kind of show us the way. And I think Sloan Crosley does that here. So this is called Grief is for People. It is out on February 27th. Okay, um, my next book, I think Aaron and I are both reading actually. 
the framed women of Ardmore House? Oh, yeah. I just started, literally just started it. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's by Brandy Chalace. I also, I'm only like 100 pages in right now, but it's really fun. Um, I've been drawn to these like classic type murder mysteries set in big <laughs> homes recently, and I'm really not opposed to it. I think it's a great path to go down. Um, this feels like if if you loved the Maid series, um, this is right up your alley. Colleen Cambridge. It's not historical fiction, but it is set in like a beautiful house. And I think Wales, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I haven't made it that far yet. Sounds, sounds right. Oh, okay. Anyways. <laughs> so it's about this girl. I do forget her name. Joe. Joe Jones. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which I know, right? <laughs> it's Josephine, but she goes by Joe. Um, and she has recently not only like divorced her husband and it was not um, a pleasant divorce, but then she ended up being a caregiver for her mother at the end of her life. And then she found out that her mother left her this house in, I really think it might be Wales. I just remember it being <laughs> like that part of the world and a very short North Yorkshire? Uh, sure. England, Wales. Anyone I know think, where that is? Yeah, s- somewhere. <laughs> that might be in England. Yeah, yeah. sure. It might be England. Okay, yeah. Welsh. They say Welsh. Good. You did it. Oh. <laughs> I'm looking at the back Good, cover. you remember. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Here we go. Deductive skills. Um... Yes. So she inherits this big estate um, and it was known for its gardens, but its gardens are a complete disaster, like overgrown, has not been taken care of. And when she gets there to see the big house, uh, the big family house, it's also not been taken care of. But there's this uh, groundskeeper there. I forget his name, but he is just, for lack of Mm. a better word, like he gives her the ick. (laughs) <laughs> no. Um, he calls no. her pet at one point and she was like, ooh, no. absolutely not. Hard pass on that. <laughs> um, and he's the one who's supposed to have taken care of this house and the grounds and he clearly didn't. Like, there's a hole in the roof. The library is destroyed by water damage. Um, but there's a cottage in the back. Um, and this was part of his whole work deal is that if he took care of the grounds and the house, then he could rent out that cottage and keep whatever profit because it's the only livable place. But when she gets there, it's very clear that he has not been renting it out, that he's been living there. Um, So she's kind of over it. And she was like, no, let me just pay the back taxes. I will live in the cottage and I will fix up the house. And so she takes his keys and calls it a day. The next day, she's in the big house and she's looking around. She finds this framed portrait of this woman who like the name is on the portrait and it is not any of the names in her family so she has no idea who this woman is but she's really taken by this portrait because it's it's really well done and then she hears something in the house and she goes down and it is the groundskeeper again and she's just like what are you doing here (laughs) and he was like well i still technically work here and so she's whatever. He goes outside. He starts the lawnmower. She gets super annoyed because at one point she's working in a room and he has just left the lawnmower on at the window <laughs> in the room she's working on. And she's like, no. And so she goes out and she like finds the lawnmower. He is nowhere to be found. He has jerry-rigged this lawnmower with like a bungee cord. And so she undoes <laughs> it and turns off the lawnmower, goes in the house and finds that the portrait is now gone. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So then she like calls her lawyer and she was just like, uh, 
please fire that man. I'm done. She calls the cops on him and she goes back to this pub that she's been staying at. It's like one of those that has like the bar on the ground and then you can stay up. I think of like the three broomsticks from Hogsmeade. That is what I'm picturing in my head. But she's befriended like the bar, the barkeep and whatnot. And the groundskeeper is there and he like verbally assaults her and she's not having it. And so the next day she goes back to this house to keep killing it out. And the groundskeeper is found murdered three, three Uh shots in his back in the kitchen. And now she has to call the cops. But now she kind of looks suspicious because they've gotten Uh to like a public argument. She had him fired. Like all of this stuff is really adding up not in her favor. And the portrait that she claims is missing, no one has any record of. So, so far, it's really fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds really good. It's been great. Even just the cover um, is, I don't know what your cover looks like on the arc, but I'm just like the cover of the book is so, yeah, it's just like so fun. It's exactly what I'm looking for in a cover of a mystery. (laughs) Yeah. A wintry book. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. It's been like a fast read, even though the chapters aren't necessarily short. Like I sat down with it last night and Mm. I got to page 100 Mm -hmm. and I could have kept going. I was tired, so I didn't, (laughs) but I could have. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to getting farther into that one then. Um, This is my last book. It is called The Fox Wife uh, by, mm, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but it's Yang Si Chu. I did my best. It's coming out February the 13th. Little known fact about me, I am obsessed with foxes, but I don't say that out loud to many people anymore because, you know, when people, you say you like things, people start to like (laughs) buy you things. Like, so I have a lot of like fox stuff that I don't want or need. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I just keep that to myself. But now everyone on the podcast (laughs) knows about it too. Oh, Oh no. Wait, wait, are people going to hear this? Oh no. Not anymore. (laughs) Um, but I do love foxes. I love, and this book just um, just really ramped that love up because this is by a Chinese author. It follows Snow, who we meet her as a woman, and she is, and we can tell already she's in search of a photographer, uh, this mysterious photographer who she says is responsible for the death of her child. So she's mourning, but she's looking for revenge, and she's um, going across China, and she um, meets up with this family, this medicine shop, and there's an elderly lady who runs the medicine shop, and she becomes kind of her live-in nurse, her caretaker. And they just through different circumstances, they end up in Japan and because she's found out the photographer could be in Japan. So she's looking for him. And so there's that storyline. And then there's the storyline of this aging detective named Bao. And he has been hired to find out the identity of a woman that's found frozen in the snow outside of a bar. And so he's looking for uh, he's looking for her, but as he's uh, starting to investigate, there are other women that he finds uh, killed in the snow. As he's uh, following the trail of these women, um, he meets up with uh, snow, like their their paths cross, their uh, orbits intertwine. And um, you kind of come to find out through some clues that snow is actually a fox spirit who has taken on the disguise of a human. And that that's a very common thing. And Bao, the detective, is also has heard about this. And from his childhood, it's something that he's known about. Um, and so 
they're they're kind of sneaky these fox spirits they are they are pretty powerful they can of course uh they're like they can be locked up in a prison and and escape because they can turn back into a fox and just get out of wherever they're going so it adds to the mystery that bow's looking for this person or a thing that might even be able not might not even be a person so i feel like i'm not describing this very well but it was very beautiful um it's it really uh, combines the humanity of a woman just looking for some absolution to this thing that happened to her um it follows bow who's also sort of at the end of his life and asking himself questions about how he lived his life and what could he have done different. And he has like this lost love from his childhood that he was never able to marry. And I won't give it away, but maybe they meet up again. I don't know. (laughs) So it follows them and it's so beautiful in their humanity. But then you have this, uh, this added sort of magical realism where there's like foxes that are people and it's, it feels so, um, it made me want to go on a deep dive about like Chinese myths about foxes and just learn more about that because the author does a super good job of weaving that into the story where you where you're like oh yeah now I know what she's talking about because she she sort of explains that and um, I wrote this down that on my Instagram, but I was like, it feels a little bit like Twilight. Like, do you remember when you first like read or you watched Twilight, like the vampire a movie that you were like like it was so interesting how they built that world and like these are the rules that vampires have to follow right like we this is how we eat we don't eat these people we only eat these people or like this is how we act when the wolves are around and you just sort of accept that as a reader you're like yeah like that makes sense like you know that would make sense why vampires would only do that or whatever and it kind of feels she builds this world the same way with foxes and because the the main character snow is sort of reminding you as a reader, like we're foxes, we can't do that. Or we're foxes, we've promised not to do that. And so I just thought that that was a really, I don't know, it's just a really beautiful story. It is dense. Um, it, It felt a little bit slow going at first when you're trying to figure out who's what and where they go. But at the end, it's very propulsive and you want to keep reading it. So that is The Fox Wife by Yang Shi Chu. It comes out February 13th. That does sound really good and very wintry, very appropriate for the winter season. Very wintry, very much set in the snow. Okay, so those were some of the February new releases coming out that we just wanted to highlight for you all. If you go to bookshelfthomasville.com, type episode 462 into the search bar, you'll see all the books we talked about today. You can pre-order, you can purchase and use code new release, please at checkout to get 10% off your order. This week, I'm listening to Come and Get It by Kylie Reed. Olivia, what are you reading? I'm reading The Framed Women of Artemore House by Brandy Chalice. Erin, what are you reading? <laughs> well, I would say ditto, but I'm also reading The Framed Women of Artemore House by Brandy Chalice. <laughs> <laughs> From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelftville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's podcast episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. 
Our executive producers of today's episode are Cammie Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Kate O'Connell, Kristen May, Linda Lee Drost, Martha, Stacy Lau, Chanta Combs, Stephanie Dean, Ashley Farrell, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Susan Eulings. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and helps us reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see Write a Review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.